Welcome to Monster Chats, presented by Monster VoIP, where we share the tools, methods, and best practices that business leaders use to build new connections, strengthen relationships, and impact sales and organizations of all shapes and sizes. If you have any questions that come up during today's episode, please text them to 424-378-6966. Please welcome the founder of Monster VoIP, your host, Colin Mitchell. On today's episode, I'm talking with Anson Sobi of Battery. Uh, he is the CEO and co-founder. We're going to learn more about his story and the journey uh, of starting Battery. Uh, my name is Colin Mitchell. I'm the host of Monster Chats and the founder of Monster Web. Anson, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, Colin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's jump in and just tell folks a little bit about yourself, your story, where you grew up, how you ended up in your entrepreneur journey, and maybe a little bit about your career path. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I, uh, I I was the son of two entrepreneurs that I, I think it just kind of took me a long time to to realize it. Uh, they were they were kind of two very different types of entrepreneurs. My dad uh, just had a small uh, optometry practice, but you know, definitely treated that like you know a a, a small business and a small company. You know, as I was growing up, my mom uh, was a sitcom director. Uh, in LA uh, in the uh, in the 80s and 90s so I kind of got babysat on the set of the A-Team and like the Wonder Years and all these cool shows and then you know going to my dad's office and filing uh, medical uh, files for his patients so kind of kind of I, I guess it was just kind of you know in in my DNA from from you know when I was a kid just being around you know entrepreneurs my whole life. Okay. And, and so then when did you, um, when did you first decide that you wanted to be an entrepreneur yourself? So I, I started to go the really traditional route. You know, I went to a business school, uh, at USC. I I was not in the entrepreneur uh, group. I I just thought I wanted to go work for big companies. So I, I did, I started out doing that working at universal and then, uh, in the toy industry. And then, you know, I was really kind of on the the big corporate, you know, big company path. Uh, but it was interesting. I was in divisions that were in much larger companies, obviously, but these divisions acted very entrepreneurially. You know, one was a new video games division at Universal Studios, and another was a new toy division at a different company. It kind of the 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 divisions acted very much like, you know, they had the backing of the larger company, but uh, uh, led by very entrepreneurial principles. So I guess mm. the the seeds of being an entrepreneur were kind of sown mm. when I was a kid. And then in my 20s, as I was working in these big companies, I was drawn towards the way these upstart, fast, quick, moving, you know, the whole mantra, fail fast, divisions were acting. Uh, and then at that time, I, I, I saw an opportunity to uh, harness the power of mommy bloggers. It's not really—it's not really called that anymore, but it, yeah. it, 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 that was a thing, you know, back in whenever, you know, two thousand six, two thousand seven. And so I had an idea to essentially help big brands tap into what was slowly becoming the power of, you know, the the, the blogosphere, kind of before mm. Facebook and Twitter, but still in the kind of MySpace and Friendster. So I saw an opportunity and I, I brought it to my boss at that time. I said, all right, I think we got to stop running TV commercials. And what if we did a little bit with mommy bloggers? And I swear to God, I printed out the proposal on, on, a, on a good stack of paper, like a good business school student. He wadded it up 
and bounced it off my forehead. <laughs> and I swear to God, he said, Anson, stop talking to me about this internet bullshit. And this was like, oh. this was like 2006. It wasn't like this was 1986. Like the wow. internet was obviously still very much a thing. And I just thought, God, you know, you got a $20 million house, but I don't think, I think you're wrong about this one thing. Obviously I didn't say that to him, but I thought that. And yeah. so I had the idea, I said, I kind of feel really passionate about this. I think this is a real thing. And so I started a, a, a company back then of helping kind of brands like Dove and TJ Maxx and Marshalls, you know, brands that spoke a lot to, uh, uh, you know, women and, you know, we harnessed the power of the, the blog. It just kind of, it kind of, it literally came out of the moment when he bounced the proposal off my forehead. And yet he lived in a $20 million house. So the guy knew what he was doing, but yeah. I, I really felt in my heart that there was a way. So, you know, I was kind of lucky enough to, to leave and then, you know, start my first company uh, at that point. Wow. Okay. So we're, we're, we're at that point, I'm guessing based on his response that people weren't really using that as a, as a marketing technique of tapping into these, what, I mean, these days they're, we call them influencers, right? But I mean, the mommy blogs are blogs. That was basically um, what these, they were influencers at that time. So people weren't using them to market products at that time. Right, right, exactly. They were, they were starting to be used, but really more to market products. You'd go with your tip, you know, your TV campaigner or, or print or online was starting and obviously PR and, and the right editors was still a big thing as it, as it's yeah. still now, but yes, they really weren't even called influencers they really just were called blog and it was very much the wild wild west right there was no there was no you know government you know ftc kind of overseeing what they were doing and how they were doing and and it was very much you know, the the wild wild west but yes it was essentially right. the, the beginnings of you know influencers right yeah and most of these bloggers just were you know they didn't have a company it's just them writing about things right and they had an audience and those audience tied to these products or brands that you're you know, trying to market or, or sell goods to, right? So, so okay, so you started your first company. What was that company? That was called Rocket XL. Okay, and how did, how did that go? What was, was um, you know, how, how long did you do that for? What were some of the learning lessons out of that? And how did things go? Yeah, so we, we, we you know, we were lucky enough, I think, to be at the right place at the right time and work with such blue chip brands, you know, like Unilever and P&G and the NFL mm -hmm. to help them tap into the blogosphere. And we, we, we really kind of, you know, no pun intended that, you know, we, that we were like a, you know, rocket shot out of a cannon where we grew, we started in LA mm -hmm. uh, and then we did a lot of our developments because we started building widgets and very basic apps back then that embedded, you know, onto a blogger's uh, review right. of the product. So we, we set that up in Stockholm and then we grew it in New York and then we ended up selling uh, the company to a larger communications conglomerate called Cosette Communications. So we sold that uh, within a few years and then I, and then I had about a, a two and a half, three year earnout. Uh, to, to complete the sale and that all that all completed in about 2012 2013 so did that for about uh, six seven years and and from where we began to you know obviously the world of influencers and social media just changed so much right from 2006 yeah. to 2012 right I mean it was, it was just two two different 
worlds at that point. And we, we, we morphed and, you know, shifted and, and shaped the company, but, you know, definitely, uh, the world changed so much, you know, honestly for the better, you know, in that, in that category. But again, I think we were lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time, pretty, pretty early on. Yeah. So these, these kind of low tech widgets that you're, you're, you're talking about, I mean, are we talking about like affiliate links basically? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, so let's say, and, and we did this more with uh, video games. So PlayStation was one of our clients. When we had a blogger do a review about, you know, the latest game, <clears throat> we develop a widget and then we just put, whether it was, you know, the, the trailer or screenshots or assets, and we just, you know, feed that over the blogger via, you know, an embed code. And then we started to get a lot more clever with the widgets. Then they kind of became little contests and really kind of self-contained, you know, marketing modules. Uh, uh, that the bloggers would would host on their on their sites during the campaigns. Okay, wow. And then as a startup, how, what what was your secret sauce to like landing some of these big brands? Yeah, my business partner was uh, a guy named Craig Howe. Was just, I mean, the the give he could sell ice to an Eskimo, as, as they say. He he just had a really good way of connecting he'd meet someone who'd meet someone who'd meet someone who'd, t who'd introduce him to the head of marketing at dove meet someone meet someone introduce him to the head of marketing at old spice he was he was just a very he was a salesperson without being a salesperson right mm. it was just here's what we're doing this is a very and a lot of these bigger brands i mean you know kudos to the unilevers and pngs they, they always try to stay ahead of things despite having such you know old brands and kind of classically trained ways of doing things they were very open to new ways of doing things and he had a knack of just getting to the right person and and getting letting them hear the the pitch and then we were off and running so it was just so different than what everybody else is doing that most of them were willing to go along for the ride and, and give it a try yeah, I think so. But at the end of the day, it was all about influence. And at that time, these bloggers really weren't being approached by many brands. So they were just people in their homes saying, wow, I love this new Tide detergent I just got. It's really, it's really, so it's just, it was, it was, it was so honest. It yeah. was so truthful. And, 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 you know, some of these bloggers maybe only had 700 subscribers, right? I mean, it was kind of quantity over quality. You had to reach, you had to work with a ton back then to get any movement. But at the end of the day, it was just really, it, it was the principle that all the big brands could understand. It was just the principle of just honest, honest influence, but done a, a different way. Okay. All right. So fast forward 2012, the end of, of that venture for you, what was next? Yeah, so then I, I finished that earnout with Rocket. And then, so then I started Battery, and, and Battery is really more of a, call it a traditional ad agency in terms of, you know, uh, pre-roll film, you know, commercials, out-of-home, things like that. But with Battery, and again, that was in LA as well, we saw the opportunity of, so the, the, at that time, the video game industry was starting to transition from, I go to Target and I pay 60 bucks for the latest video game. I play the heck out of it for four weeks and then I'm kind of done and on to the next thing. So the industry was starting to switch from that model to where it was digital distribution, right? To where these games had longer life cycles. Either they were subscription models or mm -hmm. I could play it for 12 months and, and more content would come out. To, you know, So the, the gaming industry was switching from kind of like DVDs on shelf to 
really what it is now, right? An evergreen live experience. But video games were still being marketed like DVDs and films, right? Let me try to drive as many sales for six weeks and then boom, I'm on to the next one. Instead of being marketed like a dove stick of deodorant or like loves diapers, you know, meaning yeah. something I've got to, you know, constantly, constantly push, but because it's, it's this kind of, you know, not that loves diapers or a living, breathing experience, but that customers are continuing to come back and right. make purchases. So, so we saw the opportunity and then we approached, I, I approached a few games developers like Warner Brothers Interactive, what a lot of big franchises like Batman Arkham and uh, Lego and, and Mortal Kombat. And we approached them kind of with the brand, honestly, the brand building rigor that I learned from working with Unilever and P&G, but then done essentially applying that to entertainment. So how do you apply consumer packaged goods to entertainment? And, you know, uh, a lot of big, you know, so we start off in streaming pretty early, you know, with Netflix and NBC Universal and, and Lionsgate. And then, so we started taking that model of traditional brand marketing principles but applied to a new economy, right? Like games as a service or streaming uh, entertainment. So we've kind of taken that model and now applied that to a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, different industries now over the last few years. And do you have the same co-founder? I do, yeah. Yeah, so I, I co-founded it with Philip Kosid. So he runs all of the, uh, of the creative side. So yeah, we started it together and we're still, we're still, we're still married, <laughs> married in, uh, in business and joined at the head. Oh, awesome, awesome. All right, and so what are, what are some of the cool things that you guys are working on right now? Yeah, so uh, right now we, uh, <clears throat> we did a lot of big global work uh, for Epic Games, uh, who's the, the parent company of Fortnite. Uh, Epic Games started their own uh, uh, digital uh, PC games marketplace called the Epic Games Store. Uh, and we're doing a lot of work with them kind of globally of, of, of figuring out how to, you know, really how to grow the PC gaming uh, uh, marketplace. And obviously PC games, hardly anyone goes and buys, you know, a PC game disc anymore, right? It's all, right. it's all digital distribution and it's all, it's kind of taken the early stuff that we did with Warren Brothers Interactive five, six years ago with console titles. And obviously the PC games is that kind of on, uh, on steroids. So mm -hmm. it, it's a really interesting global kind of thing of how do you enter new markets and how every market is so different. And, you know, few brands are as global as, as, as Fortnite uh, and Epic, but it's a, uh, it's a really interesting process of kind of taking that hundred percent digital experience and, and helping them grow into a, uh, into different markets. And how, how has, uh, how has COVID like really changed that industry currently? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the most part, the the gaming industry has really benefited for, you know, better or for worse um, because of COVID, just because obviously the time spent gaming, the time spent on Twitch, you know, the, the, the dollars spent uh, in games, obviously probably, you know, free to play games are increasing a lot faster than, you know, the traditional game just because the economy's, you know, hurting. But yeah, the gaming marketplace is just, hitting numbers over the last few months that it had never really hit uh, before. And it's, it's amazing all the development teams, all these publishers, even though everyone's working from home, kind of the, the, the show is still going on and games like Fortnite are still updating, you know, on a, on an hourly basis. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now you guys, you've been around for about seven years. So, I mean, I'm sure anybody who's been around seven years, there's been some impossible ups and downs. What have been some of the biggest challenges of running battery? Oh man. I, I'd say in the early days, it was it, number one. It was how do you attract big talent that's used to a certain salary level mm-hmm. at a big agency and you don't have that money to give them. And so, you know, obviously some people are motivated by salary. Others are motivated by great work or respect or flexibility or, or a combination of all those. And so the number, the number, cause obviously in, in a business like ours, talent and the people are number one. So it, number one, it was, and it was also, how do you convince really, really great people to take a chance on you? Cause at the beginning, Phil and I had a small office that every time it would rain, and luckily it doesn't rain too much in LA, <laughs> the, the, the water would drip through the ceiling. We had to kind of set up buckets around. So imagine you're trying to interview these like amazing men and women from these other great firms. You're like, you know, don't worry. I promise you we can pay you even though we can't afford to fix the leak <laughs> in our ceiling, right? So, yeah. so it's like, it's, 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 it's how do you attract the talent and, and convince them, you know, to, to, to stay with you. And then the second thing is just, you know, weathering the, the, the down times, right? Because with any small business, you're going up and you're going down. And when you go down, how can you weather that time mm-hmm. without letting people go, without taking on the wrong client, without making stupid decisions, because you know you're going you're gonna to come back up. So a lot of it was just the, the mental and the emotional resiliency. You know, mm. I, I don't think I really realized that, how much... Like I think, I think every entrepreneur should learn how to train like an NBA athlete, right? They should learn how to control their mind because your mind can go to some dark places when it gets tough, right? Especially yeah. if you're supporting kids. And even if you're not, even if it's just yourself, it's, it's tough. So I think it's number one, it's the talent. And number two, just being strong in yourself because that's it, times get tough. That's not, yeah. it's not always good. You know, I think the emotional resilience is really key. I think that's something that's really important because there is so many ups and downs and challenges and really having that mindset to just keep going. And also, you know, some of the harder times are the biggest learning lessons, which are some of your biggest assets. Right. Right. Yeah. And honestly, it's sometimes it's knowing when to quit. And I don't mean knowing when to shut down the company. Hopefully it doesn't come yeah. to that point, but meaning knowing when, all right, I got to stop doing this. I got to pivot and go over here. And even though I've banged my head up against the wall for a yeah. year this way, I might have to go this way. But that, that the emotional resilience, I had no idea about that until yeah. I really got into the trenches. And it's, it's tough. It's worth it. It's totally worth it, but it's tough, man. It's really tough. I totally agree. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's hard to like you said, quit, but I, I totally get what you mean. Like to give up on a path or something that you're trying that's new, that's not working and you've put so much into it and it's just not working and, and, and knowing when to, okay, you know, cut your ties with that. And what did totally. I learn from this and, and move on and go in a different direction? Sometimes it's really hard, but um, if you can master that, I mean, you know, anybody is that's entrepreneur that can master that can, can stick around for a while. Right. Awesome. Well, it's been fantastic having you on here and, and learning more about your story. Before I let you go, let folks know where they can learn more about you, connect with you online or learn more about what you guys are doing at Battery. Yeah. So you can just go to our site, uh, batteryagency.com. 
you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Anson Sobe. I, I really, really love LinkedIn, and I'm pretty, pretty active over there. But yeah, you can see all of our latest work uh, on our website. Great. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Welcome to the Monster Chats community. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, and we're listening for your feedback. The show is all about you. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Monster Chats presented by Monster Voip, where we share the tools, methods, and best practices that business leaders use to build new connections, strengthen relationships, and impact sales in organizations of all shapes and sizes. If you have any questions from today's show and want to reach us directly, please text your question to 424-378-6966.